0: Welcome to Searching the Sacred. I'm Jason Stephan-Hagen,
1: I'm Steph Spencer, and I'm Lisa Adams.
0: We are hosting conversations about scripture for the curious doubters and hope seekers. We're inviting people to ask different questions, questions asked by those who have been wounded and hurt, questions asked by those who have deconstructed and are looking for a reconstruction. We're creating space for love, kindness, justice, and curiosity. We will wrestle, we will question, we will dance, we will dream, we will wonder, we will be frustrated, and we will hope. We aren't searching for singular answers or solutions. We are searching the sacred. Hello and welcome back to Searching the Sacred. It is season three and we are excited to be engaging the New Testament in this episode. And so Lisa, get us started with John chapter 21.
1: I'm going to be reading verses one to six, and I am reading out of the New King James version. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Well, we
2: often start with like anything stick out to you, in in just to start with from what Lisa just read.
0: Well, maybe before we dive into like what stood out, just for those that are curious where we're at, this is John chapter 21. So this is after the resurrection. This is not the first time Jesus is meeting these disciples as they are fishing. So this is a, this is a, towards the end of the story as opposed to the beginning of the story.
1: But it's also like 20 is where, like, chapter 20 is where Jesus comes out the tomb. <laughs> so, okay. like, yes, but that is not distant past. That is like literally the, it butts up against the resurrection story, like right next.
2: Yeah. Let's draw that, that text, text together. So in John 20, verse 19, but okay. So in John 20, verse 11, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene still like at the tomb in the garden. Like, there's that scene. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 19, he appears in the upper room with the disciples, but Thomas isn't there. And then the famous story in verse 26, eight days later, he appears in the upper room and Thomas is there. So some of our listeners might be familiar with that story. Now we're some time after that. So. It doesn't say exactly how long it's been. It's also unclear if there's any other things that have happened between that appearance to Thomas and this one, because there's this weird little editorial note in verse 30 of of chapter 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Um, So were those signs there or were they after this point in time? It's like that, again, sort of has an ambiguous how many signs who was there. When did they
0: happen? Was it it? it for like three years worth of time on earth that he was doing stuff that they didn't put they didn't write down? Or is it just in like those few days after resurrection before ascension? Yeah, good question.
1: And why and like what are those? Why are they not significant? And
2: and why are they not written down?
0: (laughs) Well, isn't there a line in in either this gospel or another one where it's like if all of the things that Jesus did were ever written, it would it would fill all the pages of every book or something like that? I mean it's some like like we're only giving you part of the story because you you can't handle all of it in a way like it's too much.
2: Um, I I think that is John, but I, I think it's actually more like in the I don't remember where, but yeah, that'd be an interesting sort of like somebody find that <laughs> yeah. it is it's there somewhere. But I think what, so least Lisa's bringing us to that I think is a great place to start is, is this what happens in hindsight and what happens in lifetime when we're processing life and we forget sometimes that the disciples are humans and what it is for them to be processing lifetime everything that has happened. So at this point, they have seen Jesus resurrected we can we sort of know that. We don't know how many times he they've seen him resurrected because that vagueness. We also don't know anything that he said except for these two instances in the upper room where he said peace be with you as father my father sent me so i'm sending you and as he said to thomas like you know touch my hands. It's the only words we know that he said.
0: Well and we can maybe discern that it hasn't been too much in-depth conversation because what's going to come after this is i guess what people have often labeled like jesus reinstating peter peter so they have mm-hmm. peter denying him three times and then he's going to have him asking him do you love me three times and so we know that they haven't had that conversation yet which would be a fairly significant one you know Understanding how close Peter was to Jesus and how significant his denial was right before his crucifixion, so they probably haven't had too much interaction if that conversation has yet to take place.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I think it's probably it's relatively safe to imagine this like a couple weeks out from the death and resurrection. Like it's not the first week because that Thomas appearance is until eight days le- later, so it's sometime after that. So maybe let's let's imagine it's like two weeks out from the resurrection. There's this space of sort of just entering in and imagining what it is to be a disciple two weeks out from watching your leader die, processing that death and grief and loss and the trial and all the things that were associated with it, like be executed, not just die. And then having him appear, but only a couple times and maybe with some enigmatic sayings
0: How oh, is yeah, that I'd probably for you? Like, be what do pretty, you do? I'd probably still be pretty scared.
1: Okay. What would you be scared of?
0: Like, what is going on? Like, what just happened? Like, I got caught up in something. It, the leader basically went to him according to plan, but to the rest of us, it seems like the whole world fell apart. And then we had these moments of interaction that seemed like otherworldly. And I don't even know what to do with that anymore. Like, I'm just freaked out by the whole thing.
1: I think you just are kind of unsure of, like, what it all means. Like, in some ways, like, what the, what does that mean, that you died and then you were resurrected? But you weren't, like, resurrected in the same way that I, like, that doesn't, I don't know. That feels like there's some, it's not exactly clear. <laughs> how he, like, whatever, like, there's like some weird things where I'm like, well, is it human or is it ghosty? Like mm-hmm. what's happening with Jesus? And so like, I don't like, there's something that like, you hope everything changes and yet everything's the same. Mm.
2: So what do you do? Okay. Yeah. They're in this space where everything has changed, but nothing has changed yet in this weird certainty and uncertainty tension like they're in this very weird liminal space time Where there really? see what you just said again lisa at the end do you remember how you said it
1: uh not exactly but i'm sure it was something of like like you assume everything's
2: changed but everything feels the same
1: yeah
2: okay and they might, and back to what jason said like they might be afraid for their lives still for only a couple weeks out like they just watched an execution. So some of the fear even in that time is like, okay, even if this means something, like, would we get executed? <laughs> if we start talking about this resurrected Jesus, he got executed for what, like, there's a whole, there's so much.
1: Right. Well, and Jesus is popping into like private, like these are private rooms and private communication, like with the disciples. It's not like Jesus is popping into the middle of the synagogue and like certainly doing a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> About like I've resurrected, <laughs> like you know, like there's some ways like you think like that would be a helpful. That would have been a helpful move at that point to like appear to everybody, y'all. make it <laughs> obvious, right? Like all y'all saw me on the cross. Now here I am. Instead of just doing it in these small little groups of people, that like you have to walk. Like how are you going to explain that to people? Like how are, you can believe wholeheartedly that something happened and is true but to communicate it to people who have not had it happen okay
0: yeah and you know i keep thinking of like my wife and i were recently watching the show the leftovers and this isn't like a an advertisement for it or not but like there's a guy on the show who like basically dies and then comes back and they refer to like She's like who do you think you are Jesus Christ like we have a reference for that now like in our context now if somebody were to seemingly die and then come back we would be like oh they think they're Jesus or it's like like we have that reference they have nothing like that like there is this is a complete anomaly well, that well, is kinda, just crazy They kind of have
1: Lazarus like they have and Jesus is doing crazy True. miracles right and yeah. in some ways the disciples are supposed to be too we don't get they're not recorded but they talk about it a little bit like They, they're supposed to be healing and doing some business.
0: That's true. Okay. so So so, Yeah. Yeah. We
1: just, it's not recorded. (laughs) Some of my many questions about what's happening,
2: (laughs) but that's what, that's a part of what we can hold, right. Is the questions of this moment to say, one of the things that happens to us, I think, or at least happens to me in my tradition is I forget how confusing these early weeks would have been. Because for me, Easter is something I celebrate year after year after year. I hear I hear the Apostles' Creed being read in churches or I whatever it might be. Things are familiar. None of it's familiar at this point. It's all new. It's all weird. It's all grief and confusion and maybe some hope, but also just like it's new. It's <laughs> super uncomfortable, though, to think
1: about. Like partly I'm like, well, like firsthand witnesses are freaking confused. Why are we so certain? How we got this on lockdown? But (laughs) like in some ways, I'm like, i maybe we should be taking a little bit more of a uh I don't I don't know. Like I okay, I really am feeling like nervous because this is Jesus. Um and so I I'm not sure how to ask the questions always in these spaces that get really into something of like, we assume we know what happened. Like, we know the story. This is what happened. <laughs> and this is how it's told us. That's it. And in some ways, like sitting <laughs> here, I'm like, yeah, what do you, what would you have done? Like, I, like, do you, do you go home? Do you, like, we assume they just start like creating the church
2: here we go, go, go spread the word. <laughs> well, that takes us to verse three, really. So like, like as you're feeling dangerous about it, I like that gets, we get really scared about some of the theological implications of asking some questions, but regardless of where we an, land theologically with, en, with any of them, we can just sit in chapter 21, verse three. And two and three. So we have these, we have seven of the disciples. Where are the other five? I don't know. have <laughs> seven of them seemingly sitting around together. And in verse three, Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And we can just say, why might he say that? If we're him, what possible motivations at that moment in time would we have for going fishing? What are the possibilities?
1: Well, when my husband says it, he just needs a little break and some peace and
2: quiet and to enjoy himself. So he's going fishing. Okay. Maybe, maybe Simon Peter just needs a little men's fishing trip. (laughs) Just a a little space. What else?
0: I mean, he very well could be thinking, I got to make a living somehow. And this is the only thing I know how to do. And now that Jesus is Died. Come back. Who knows when he'll show up again? He's not exactly on the preaching tour that he was on. There's nobody supporting us like these women that were supporting the ministry. So I don't know where the next meal is going to come for from. So I'm going to go fishing because that's that's what I know to do.
2: Okay, it could just it could be pretty practical. Like we need some food. We need some money. Let's. I'm going to go fish for a little bit here. Pie us over. Why else might he say I'm going to go fishing?
1: I'm just sitting around with these guys, just yip yapping Like at some point, like I got to do something. I cannot sit here and like think and talk about this no more. I got, I'm going to go do something. All
2: right, maybe it's just like, I got to get out of this room. I got to get out of this. I got to go into a different sort of space. I got to do something. I don't know what else to do, but I know how to fish. Well, <laughs> so and, let me go fish.
1: Well, and all his buddy, like, I'm just going to call him his buddies. <laughs> His buddies are like, yeah, we're come with, we're let's go like in some, and maybe everybody's waiting for somebody to make a decision because mm-hmm. how, who's, who's going to make a decision in this group of people in, in this scenario of, um, I mean, I don't, like their lives are pretty locked down with Jesus, like what they were doing and traveling and what they were going. And so this is a new, like, without, doesn't feel like a lot of purpose. mm mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I think that's a really good word for it, Lisa. Like, you, I wonder what their purpose felt like at this time. I think it was pretty clear with Jesus. Like, we are following him and we're trying to do what he does to the point where he sends out the 12 and they do stuff. And then he sends out the 72 and they do stuff. And then they all get back together and they're going to Jerusalem. And then suddenly he's dead. And then he comes back. And now they're like, wait, what are we here to do? Because we were comfortable with this countercultural, counter empire, counter religious message. We were comfortable with all the miracles, but like what in the world just happened? Like this is a whole different thing.
2: Right? How does this I mean it's hard enough when organizations go through like a mission vision reorg, right? Of some sort. Like they they they're still the same group. Although they've had a betrayal, they also need to heal from, by the way. Mm. So they're basically the same group, almost the same group. But And there's a way that it's the same mission, but there's a way it's also a completely different mission. (laughs) And they're in that space of like, what is this now? And what do we do with our time? How do we decide how to structure this thing? What is my role? What is your role? It was all clear that we are all following Jesus. And when we were all following Jesus, by the way, we were arguing about who was most important. And now Jesus is in here. So who's most important? Who do we, Who are we following? How do we, how do we do this?
0: Well, and he's here and not here. Right. I mean, like, he's still like, he hasn't exactly made it clear what the next thing is like, right. that's going to happen. It's going to get really clear in a little bit, but it's not clear right now. He kind of comes and goes, you know, I'm here. I'm not like, so just the, I mean, loss of uh, equilibrium would be, right would be like pretty heightened.
2: Yeah, we so cuz we our our timeline gets all meshed from things we know, so a lot of times from our church services. Like this would be before Pentecost. If we're somewhere like 2 weeks out before, you know, let's let's assume we're in that 2 week frame. Pentecost like is when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. And Pentecost is connecting to the Hebrew festival Shavuot and um, the crucifixion and resurrection connected with the Hebrew festival of Passover. Those things are 50 days apart. That's why it's called Pentecost. So we haven't yet hit that Holy spirit. We haven't yet hit that instruction to go preach in Samaria and get into the ends of the earth We're we're before that point. We know there's something that has changed, but we don't quite yet know how we're going to be equipped what we're supposed to do, what our role is. Like we're just, we're in these days of counting until It's time for Pentecost and the first fruits. Which is probably worth noting. Well, I think at least when Jesus does show up in these verses. To notice what Jesus doesn't do that we sometimes hear him doing. The leading question, but. The disciples have gone back to fishing. Jesus shows up. What does Jesus do when Jesus shows up? Verse 12,
1: especially. He asks them to have some breakfast. Come eat
2: some breakfast. What does Jesus not do or say? Why are you fishing? (laughs) Okay. Whatever the answer is to why they're fishing. We, I, for one, I, I I mean, I don't even know. I don't know if I've heard sermons on this or implied it. I think something's wrong about them going fishing. Jesus never says anything to them about, like, you shouldn't be fishing. Why don't you know better? You're supposed to be out preaching. He just shows up and says, come have some breakfast.
0: Yeah, there's a hospitality that he offers in this moment. And um, in, in a, this is going to sound all like 2022, but like, he seems like a very non-anxious presence right now where they seem like they may have a lot of anxiety around what's going on um where he's just like you caught anything people you know i think he even calls him like i think lisa your translation i think that it it, and and you guys can look at the greek to, to know better but like like it's children like i mean i wonder about that word like what is he implying with that word like um is that maybe a critique of them or is it just him being like this is was it love it? Was that a loving way of referring to them? Like he wasn't like, Hey guys, or Hey people, or Hey you, but it was like, like children, have you caught anything? Like, is that like a term of endearment? Um, Which he just doesn't seem to be in a rush with them right now, which I think is really beautiful.
2: Like well, it, it makes me even wonder, I, I don't know what to make of the children, by the way. <laughs> I can't come back to that, but um, I, I wonder for Peter, if I'm thinking about these early weeks and all of the feelings to process and I'm Peter, I actually even wonder if one of the reasons he might want to go fishing is to is because fishing is where he had had special moments with Jesus before. Like, what if he goes fishing because he's hoping for a spiritual experience? or hoping for a memory processing experience. Like what if it is something where he like the water was a special place to me before. I don't know where to go with all of this. I'm going to take it to the water. I'm going to take it to the fishing boat because when I'm on the fishing boat, I'm going to like, what if he was cognizant of those
1: things? And. Well, in some ways it like his. Like the n- denying of Jesus has to linger. Mm-hmm. Like in some in some ways, if Jesus died and that was it, there was some self preservation that you would probably feel like you weren't wrong. Like it wouldn't feel real great, but it also would be like, and one die. But like when you deny it and then Jesus does this thing, it's got to feel a little bit of like, um. Uh, and what do you do with that? And like, I was thinking too, like I was sitting for just a second and thinking about like Steph, as you mentioned the betrayal, um, like in some ways too, like I'm a little bit, well, I'm a little bit irritated of the story of Judas and like Judas's outcome in some ways. Cause like, yeah, like there's a hope that like somehow like, like for Judas to come around. And so it feels a little bit like, like he was necessary for what happened in some ways. Like Jesus being able to be resurrected meant and so like how, I don't know how to write, I don't even know how to say this the right way, but <laughs> in the tension of like how, how much of a betrayal was it when Jesus is who Jesus said he was? Um. I don't know. Like, I like it's an interesting thing to kind of sit with some of the stories that feel unfinished or that ended up in more like wounded spaces um, with this thing with Jesus. Like, it wasn't just an instantaneous, like the Lord is risen, like that. It's not an alleluia.
2: That's not, this is not what's happening right now. It's more of a like. Yeah, well, I think that's where we can just release it in the humanity of this passage. There are things that are unfinished. There are, are wounds that are still open and grieving there are um there are places that are still just unresolved that there's there's a lot to this time and space and like what are you going to do with that are you going to just sit in upper room are you going to be by yourself again we don't know where these other four disciples are this is only seven of them so those other four are doing something else with this time and space they're processing differently maybe they're pissed off can I say that <laughs> at Peter, they know what he did. And they're like, we're not going to hang out with you right now. These other ones have forgiven him, but the, the, the other four, like the wounding's not okay yet. Or maybe with what happened with Judas, they don't know who to trust. And so they've separated themselves for a while. Like they're in this very tangible hard space. I like in that tangible hard space, I like noticing in verse two and three, the names.
1: So how is Peter being referred to here? With both. Names. Simon Peter. Simon Peter.
2: So we can think about that just as, you know, a way of naming. <laughs> We can also think about this question of identity that's in that, of who is this person living at? So, what is the story of Simon?
0: I mean, he's a person that had a full time job, had a spouse, was a fisher person, and then suddenly he's called to follow a rabbi, which would have been just kind of outlandish after becoming a fisherman. And so He not only follows this rabbi, but then this rabbi believes in him so much, he changes his name to better identify who he believes he can be. And then in the moment where it's most consequential, he reverts back into someone who maybe doesn't feel worthy to be following Jesus. And so now the question at some level could be, who are you? Are you Simon or are you Peter? And right now he's Simon Peter because he could go back to being someone who can't follow the rabbi, or maybe he'll be someone who will.
1: Well, and how many of us have two names?
2: Or three names? (laughs) Or... And, and in these moments in time, what are we sitting in? Who, which version of ourselves are we going back to? What version of ourselves are we going to move towards? He was only Simon before Jesus. Jesus said, you oh, will be called Peter on this rock. I will build my church. He never took away the Simon when he added the Peter. He didn't say stop going by Peter, but he did, or stop going by Simon, but he did add the Peter. And you can maybe wonder about the wrestle that Simon Peter has in this moment. Am I really Peter?
1: After this experience I've just had, what does that even mean?
0: You know, the other day, um, one of my boys was really mad at me. I don't know what I did probably took away screen time or something stupid. And I, he wouldn't come out and talk to me. And all of a sudden he wanted, he wanted something and he yells, Jason, can you? And I cut him off. And I was like, I'm sorry. I don't go by that name. I'm dad. And he didn't want to say dad because it was like, it was too intimate or it was too like healing. Right. And so he goes father. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take, I'll take that. We've, you know, I'm not some generic human that has not first name. I'm, I'm still relationally in alignment here so I'm going to move towards you with father you don't need to call me dad quite yet I get it that feels a little bit too intimate or something like or like we're okay again and so we'll just step step this way and so I don't know it was it was an interesting like when you talk about the different names we wear uh that was an interesting moment to reflect on like in in light of what Peter may be experiencing
2: well yeah I mean I think that's even, even thinking about parenthood as an example of a name that gets added to us without our old name being taken away, Mm -hmm. right? We go from being just, I went from being just Steph to also being called mom, but I'm not, not Steph anymore. I'm just also mom. Um, and I'm kind of being invited into this new identity with this new name, with this new term, but at, at, clutch moments that can all feel different i love i love your son's cognizance of like i don't want to call you dad right now um and like it does does simon peter want to be called peter right now like i'm actually thinking like what was his response to them all saying we'll go with you was he kind of irritated like was he like why are you following me <laughs> like it like i wonder about that like could he not even help being peter like was he Cause everybody's like, yeah, I'll follow what you're doing, but he's still grappling with, if he wants to be that guy, like, is that a moment where he's being Peter, even though he maybe doesn't want to be because they're all following what he's doing. But it feels to me like there's a little bit of identity wrestle for all of them in this passage, sort of highlighted in that Simon Peter question of who do I want to be now? Who's God calling me to be now? What does that and look like a year so from now? Long but long what does later. it look like today?
0: Well, and it's still so unclear. Like there's been very little instruction, very little clarity, like who actually is the leader. Like it's it's so unclear. And so I mean and and like we've talked about, Peter has not had this like deep interaction with Jesus to even talk about what he's been through or what he did and there's no healing, there's no reconciliation, there's there's nothing. And so I I think it's really Easy to like critique Peter, but also I think we can find ourselves in Peter so easily. Hey everyone, it's Jason, and we're going to continue this episode in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to let you know we are starting a Patreon page. Patreon is a site for people to give a monthly donation for the work of a podcast or other creative endeavor. And so you can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can search Searching the Sacred and then sign up to become a follower and to donate on a monthly basis. That could be as small as $1 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month or more. Whatever you think works for your life and for the work that we're doing, we would appreciate any support that you can give us so that we can continue to put this podcast out there and to continue to do this work. We are grateful to do it. If you're curious about an easier way to get to this site, we will have a link in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Thank you for being with us on this journey. Thanks for being a part of this community. and We look forward to much, much more.
2: I have, I have so much empathy for Peter in this story of like, I don't know that I would have chosen any differently than that. <laughs> I would have, of, 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 you know, what he did by the fires when Jesus was being crucified. Would I really, would I really stand up and be like, yeah, I'm one of his guys. I don't think so. I think my self-preservation is too high. Well,
0: um, and we give him a hard time for denying, but like, he was the only one that got Close enough to have to. The rest of them were just like, they deuced out a long time ago. Right.
2: Because this was confusing for everybody. Everything that happened over this time period was confusing. Even when we go back, it's maybe it feels more clear that Jesus was saying he was going to die, but it's not. I mean, how many church splits have happened over different ways that we understand what it all meant? And here these guys are experiencing it for the first time. Yeah. Not knowing what it all meant. <laughs> and yeah. so then what we can maybe wonder is how does Jesus show up into the midst of those moments for us individually and collectively when we are in this space of grief and tension and betrayal and wounding and uncertainty and just all of, but maybe hope, but maybe confusion.
1: And so. Let's
2: maybe pause in verse three and say, okay, they go fishing. The disciples say, we'll go with you. Then what happens?
0: Jesus is standing on the beach.
1: Before that.
0: Oh, they caught nothing.
1: Okay. So
2: when we think about like, Jesus could show up at any point. Why let them fish all night and catch nothing? Why not show up as soon as they got there? Why not show up? Why not save them the like what's there in that
0: for them? That's a good question. I I mean Lisa. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, so a part of pausing there is like I it's one of the things I notice when we're studying scripture in groups is how often we've we don't take in the pauses of the story. So like this happened, um, I was with a group and we had really studied the Saturday of Easter weekend because we tend to talk about Friday and Sunday and we skip over Saturday, but there was this Sabbath where everything stopped. What's happening in that day. Um, that day is left there for a reason. Like what, what, are, what is for us to see in there? What is it for us to wrestle in here? So there's a bit of a pause here where they go out fishing and they spend the whole night fishing and catch nothing. And Jesus shows up in the morning. So what is it like that night on the boat?
1: Um, Simon is Simon. Is that is Simon rooted in hearing in Shema? Is like is that part of Simon's?
2: Great question. When we're thinking about names, yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So so um, Simon would be the Greek pronunciation of, of Shimeon, which is heard. So his name means he, to hear.
1: So what I'm thinking about is I think sometimes we're, we want to like move him, like make him be Peter, like be the rock. And I'm wondering actually if like the not catching fish and being out all night is what allows him to lean into hearing. Like He doesn't have to answer the question of being the rock he has to answer the question of hearing can he hear can i listen can i still hear from god do i like am i hearing well um like there's a there's a way too that allows space for anger or frustration like a physical exertion which i think in some ways you hear better after a physical exertion of things
0: (laughs) oh i like this keep going
1: so i just i think he's leaning into his name but
2: he's leaning into the name that we're least comfortable with who we want. What if we want Peter to just be a rock all the time? And if he can't be a rock until he's heard.
0: I like that because the way I was framing it earlier was, is he going to be a Simon or a Peter? And now that you're helping us see this in a deeper way, Lisa, I don't like the duality that I presented earlier as opposed to the integration that we could possibly hold right now. And that is so much more of how I want to live is more as an integrator and somewhat as opposed to duality. And so I love, love this. And when you talk about like, when you get frustrated and you get that out, it's that anger, that tension, then you're able to hear more that could be why he called them children because that's what my kids do all the time is they get it all out and it's like all right now that you're done are you ready to have a conversation are you ready to do this whole reconciliation thing that's about to take place um i love the integration of that that's such a cool insight
2: and it's interesting when you, it, like looking back on how John has told the story in John 13, which is the Monday Thursday passage, when, when Simon Peter is asked to wash Jesus's feet, it is Simon Peter. It's not just Peter, which if we're thinking of a moment of integration for Peter, that might be a pretty good one of like sitting in that upper room, washing Jesus's feet, like things, he's doing that act as Simon Peter, maybe he needs both names and he's living out the hearing part um,
1: as a part of all of that.
0: I love that. I love that. We're not abandoning who he is, like, or part of who he is. Right. Like, I mean, and I think that's like the story of humanity, right. Is that we can either do two things wrong. We can stay in an identity that isn't who we need to be anymore, or we can like progress or grow or transform. But we haven't integrated. And so we, we, we put on a whole new persona or a whole new us and we leave behind this other thing. And yet yet that other thing got us to this person and you know, it, it's still who we are. It's still part of this and it doesn't just go away because we want it to. Um, And now I'm like hearing myself wrestle with Paul (laughs) talking about old creation, new creation and all this other stuff. But that's a whole nother separate conversation. We can have some other time. But my point being, I love the integration of the two um, as we're growing as a humanity, right? whether that's a single human or as a as a community, a collective of human beings doing life together. We can't just abandon our history. It's part of who we are. We have to like figure it out and integrate it into the future we're creating.
2: Maybe what if that's a part of fishing too? What if they're integrating something? What if they're like, okay, what if okay. <laughs> what, well, if, I, what if we still fish? I don't,
1: I don't. Well, and Jesus keeps poking at it, right? Like Jesus is like then he goes back into like Simon, son of Jonah. Like there's an interesting, like, like that's how we first in John one, we're introduced we're introduced like Son of Jonah. And that comes in here at the tail end of um in some ways it's rooting him even deeper into his history and what like he what he's a part of and it it makes me curious about the ways that we sometimes focus on like being made new or jesus doing a new thing i don't know how much of it is like brand new leave everything like in some ways there's it's it's re, it's remember yeah not just like oof.
2: Well, and when we take it into the Hebrew scriptures, which were like Jesus came to fulfill the law, right? Not
0: to do away with it. Not
2: to do away with that. The message of Deuteronomy is remember and cross over. You're not just crossing over. This isn't about going into the promised land and forgetting the wilderness it's not even about forgetting the slavery. Actually, the big call of faith is to remember the whole journey as you cross over into next session sections of it. Mm -hmm. And so what if the disciples are needing to do the same thing right now? How do they remember and cross over into this new beginning? And what does that look like? What do they need to remember? What do they need to cross over to? What do they need to let go of? What do they need to hang on to? Because it's not just new. It's, remember, integrate, cross (laughs) into the new.
0: Well, and I think it's so easy because of what happens in human history, that the disciples actually become who they're needed to be, which is these people who continue the work of Jesus, who share the story, who embrace this new way of being in the world. But then what happens with that throughout centuries as it becomes a new religion. It becomes a church. It becomes a political empire. It becomes all these other things. And we, th- we think that that's the trajectory that was like in a way ideal, but yet that's not maybe ideal for that to have been what's, what's happened because Jesus was not about, he never once said like, Hey, guess what I'm here to do. I'm here to rewrite history. We're starting over. It's meant to be like this. You got it all wrong. I want to start a new religion. We need to have a new government structure. It's going to look like this. Like he doesn't do any of that stuff. He says there's a whole different way of living in the world that you can participate in, regardless of what where you find yourself and regardless of how this looks. And yeah, it will be transformative and it will transform society and it'll transform relationships and it'll transform you. But it's not meant to be just like, this one little cardboard cutout of like the way humanity is supposed to be and and so i think we attach so much of history onto these disciples and we don't see what they're actually there to do which is to embody love and to embody like hope and to embody discipline and generosity and kindness and healing and 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 that's it doesn't get much far beyond that you know, they weren't religion makers, which we often think they were.
2: Right. To say to when we're reading the the gospels to remember that the church didn't exist for several hundred years, really. I mean, the churches that we know it, like we get to the Constantine starts to have like an institutional church. Before that, it's more like house churches, but even the house churches don't. It takes a while for people to figure out, is this a sect of Judaism? Is it its own thing? Like these aren't pastors. <laughs> They're just... People trying to figure out what their role is in moving the thing forward
1: and in some ways it's like complicated like humans are like this reminds me of like like if you just keep reading in john like peter like it's not like it's not like this moment peter's like okay i got it all like still gonna wrestle peter still got some stuff he's gotta work on like
0: and it's gonna continue (laughs) like we read in the book of acts that they can't figure this out right like there's gonna be like missteps along the way and people getting in arguments and councils and all this other stuff and that's biblical that's not just extra biblical here's what happened in history after the fact this is like this is like in the sacred text right that they argued about this and that's just it's there
2: i'm curious about so jason you asked a question a while earlier why call them children And John really only uses this term. He uses it two other times. One is with a person asking for healing for her child, but the other one might be, I'm curious what we think about this. So it's in John 16, um, verses 16 through 22. And in verse 16, he's saying, so this is like the conversation in the upper room. In a little while, you shall not see me because I will go to the father, um, and some of his disciples are start asking, like, "What does this mean that he's going to go to the Father?" Um, and and so they have this conversation about death and resurrection. And in verse twenty, he says, "I tell you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy." And then so he says in verse twenty-one, "A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has delivered the child," She remembers no more the anguish for the joy of a human is being brought into the world. And what I just got curious about is I saw that, so that's that use of the word child or children. So it's paid, on, paid on. And I'm And I'm wondering, we talk about the new beginning of Jesus, but I wonder if at this moment, what if he feels like a mother who has gone through childbirth And is looking at the children that were born saying all of the pain was worth it. Because that's what he's saying in John 16, that a mother goes through labor and it's hard, but when she sees her child, it's worth it. What if he's standing on that beach looking at these people special to him and saying, all of the pain of these last weeks is worth it.
1: Look at my children.
0: And that could be made all the more powerful because they're just doing what he found them doing to begin with.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, and like, so I like- think when I, cause what I'm, what I'm playing with myself is like, I assume children means he's chastising them or even assume it's about them. But what if it's about him feeling affection for his, his children
1: out on that boat? I don't hear very many sermons talking
2: about Jesus's mother. <laughs> Wait, well, that's I guess why it's feeling like, oh, I wonder, I've not heard that connection made. That's the only other time Jesus has used that word in the book of John. And he's talking about death and resurrection when he used it. And now here he is in this post-resurrection space using that word about these people on the boat. I don't quite know what to do with that. I'm a little taken by the by the mystical thought of that at the moment. So I don't have a good follow-up question. But.
0: I mean, the only thing that I can think of is my own experience as a dad, because that's all, I don't know how else to, to do this other than trying to make it personal or anecdotal to my life. And you know, there are times when like, you see your kid do something and you're like, yeah, that's my kid. Like, you know, they're going to be something in the world. Right. But then there are other times when, I mean, they're like full of mud and like, you told them not to step in the puddle and then they just like sat down in it. And you're like, oh my gosh, my child, like, and, like, at that moment, you're not, you're not like worried, like, are they ever going to get a job? Like, am I, are they going to live with me forever? Like, you're just like, you're perfect. Like, sit in the mud. Like, do the thing. Like, you're, you're trying your best. Like, I almost wonder if he looks at them out fishing and he's like, what else were you going to go do? You didn't know anything else. It wasn't clear. You're full of anxiety. We haven't reconciled and you haven't caught a thing. And I love you. Like, I just, love you you're gonna figure this out like i love you that much i know it's gonna happen and like because i have no doubt with my own kids that like they're gonna make it like i know they're gonna make it right like and when they're at their worst i still know they're gonna make it like even when they're like doing the thing i tell them not to do they're gonna make it okay. and if they don't we'll figure it out
2: well, and so then that that sounds like unconditional love. Like it's just that that phrasing of an unconditional love looking out at these humans on a boat, like, Oh, I just love you.
1: And that's the next conversation he has.
0: Mm-hmm. Is about love.
1: It also feels like in that question of um so the in some ways, like I hear the net story and I think about like abundance Mm -hmm. in some way like because like I don't know what ties into like the multitudes and like being a productive worker Mm -hmm. but the like children have you any food is how my translation reads it's not about like have you caught any fish Mm -hmm. because that food is like a that's like is it like cooked fish like it's like it's like a question of like do you have something to eat And that feels more like tending to a, to a need. Like in some way, it reminds me a little bit of like people who are in deep grief, you have to remind them to eat and you have to Mm -hmm. remind them to drink like Mm -hmm. water. And so I just, I wonder if there is just a tenderness in the whole question of like, do you guys, do you guys have some food to eat? Mm Mm-hmm
0: you know, we talk about it like this, like it's a mothering moment, right? Like, cause that's the, the reference from John 16. It honestly makes me feel like it's a grandmothering moment. Cause that's what my grandma would do. If I had a problem, it's not like my grandma had the answer, but she knew to make spaghetti. Right? Like it was like, I'd, 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 you know, break up with a girlfriend in high school and go over to my grandma's house and it'd be like, all right, let's pop some popcorn and get some ice cream out. You know, it wasn't like, let's deep dive into this and figure out how we can make it better. It was just like, No, we're just going to sit here, tell me, you know, and we'll talk over it. We'll figure it out. But first, we're going to make the popcorn and get the ice cream bowl out. And then we're going to have a conversation.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, just children, do you have any food? And they say, And is that
0: the actual translation?
2: Yeah, it's food. It's not fish.
0: Oh, that's so fascinating because we are not done justice by so many translations. Why, yeah. why would they translate that? Have you caught any fish versus do you have any food?
2: Um, is it because well, of because what comes they're...
0: next in verse six, where he says, throw the net over the side of the boat and you'll get some? Well,
2: I think I, the here, here's why I, this is what we say about translators a lot in Forty Orchards. Translators aren't bad. They're doing a very hard job of taking something from one language into a next. And as a part of the mindset of translation, you're trying to make things make sense in another language. But I think what then happens if you're in a translating committee is your your mindset is how do I make things make sense? But sometimes the passages are meant to not make complete sense. They're meant to sort of stick out to us because they don't make sense. And so unless in the moment as a translator, you're able to say this one's not supposed to make sense. You can sort of over translate or over, right? Like I can just see how that would happen. Oh, it, oh, they the, they must have meant fish here because he's talking about fish but I don't know that that's malicious. That's just sort of your mindset of translation is make it make sense in the other language, but yes, it's, so the, the word is, um, prosphagion it's only used here. So it like, Jesus is saying something specific. <laughs> um, and it's
1: weird. Like, I feel like that's when translators get a little bit like, um, is that right?
2: Mhm. <laughs> Well, and just like you you keyed into the word children, because it is weird that he uses the word children here. So we probably could have done the whole podcast, just on this sentence of Jesus. Like, why is he saying children? Why is he talking about food? And I love this connection to like, Jesus is being (laughs) a grandmother.
0: We're stumbling right into the title of the podcast, (laughs) which is really fun. It makes my job easy.
2: Like have just like, let's just, let's, let's have, let's, let's pause for a minute let's have some food let's process what's happened and then we'll get some instructions and we'll talk about it but for now children do you have anything to
1: eat
0: it's so beautiful like so much of so much of like our understanding of the bible and community and and covenant is it's so centered around the table and fellowship and connection you know and you read about how do you do like say um like good, good healthy diversity connections with people like share a meal right like sit around a table like eat one another's food share each other's stories listen well ask better questions and it's like, here we have that just being embodied in, the, in a, in a, in a question, you know, children, do you have any food? Like, I mean, if that's not the beginning of like, where all reconciliation and community should take place. Mm-hmm. I mean, then, then I, I think we got a wrong starting point. You know, that's maybe the question <laughs> we should be asking everybody is, hey, do you have any food? Like,
1: there's also, you've mentioned hospitality a couple times, and it makes me kind of wonder. With, in some ways, I feel like the message has been like, "Come to church," and then we're going to help you be hospitable. But I, I like if I'm looking at this grouping of people, like if I'm looking at the first disciples and the first things that Jesus is doing, Jesus is rooting in this space of like, "Take care of each other," yeah. like show up for each other, like be here. <laughs> Like, and, and it's from there, it builds out in certain ways. Like you can't do the other stuff without doing this. If your life is missing the hospitality and the table of people together around it, like worry, like that's start there.
0: Yeah. I mean, and then look at the way that the first church, right. Quote unquote, you can't see what I'm doing, but when we talk about the establishment of this new way of being in the world, we look at acts and it's they shared everything in common and they ate together. I mean, like that that's what they did. It wasn't like they preached the best sermons and they thought of a new way of singing worship music. And then they had the best prayer time and the best altar calls. It was they ate together, they shared together. They didn't have a lot of hierarchy because, you know, they mm-hmm. were, they held each other in common. Like it's just a, like a new way.
2: I, okay. Continuing to key on in this hospitality word in verse nine, which Lisa didn't read out loud. There is something I hadn't noticed yet here. So when the disciples got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And then Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Which raises the question, is Jesus doing some fishing? Where did the Jesus brought fish to the table himself and some bread? Was he and and some bread and invited them to add their catch to it? So he's both like providing (laughs) and inviting. It's (laughs) grandma, grandma. (laughs) This is so grandma.
0: Always got some on hand, like never without.
2: (laughs) Can make it happen. Doesn't matter where grandma is, there can be some bread.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: Coming out of the purse. But yeah, like where did, like Jesus, we, again, we're in this resurrected state. Like somehow Jesus has bread and fish that he brought to the table that he is sharing with the disciples as he invites them to share their catch into it. Like there's just a warmth to this moment, there's just a care, hospitality.
0: You know, and this is like maybe getting a little bit too, I don't know, mystical is not the right word, but a little bit too like woo-woo-y in <laughs> a Like, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, like he broke bread and fish and there were 12 basketballs left over, symbolic of the tribe, symbolic of the disciples and all that. And like, what does he bring when he's connecting with them maybe for one of the probably the most significant time right like this this is gonna be a longer interaction they're gonna share a meal together they're he's gonna have a reconciliation conversation with peter what does he bring well fish and bread like a reminder of like you know there's enough right like you know i ain't playing right like we got this um it, it's almost like a callback to like so many different things
2: well, and that's where we can even enter into the sensory experience of this moment. We think about remembering, like they need to go forth, but they also need to remember. Nothing helps us remember like our senses. So we're going to have this sensory moment of fish and bread that might remind us of the feeding of the 5,000 and there's abundance. There's also the sensory experience of the charcoal, which might invite Peter to remember what happened at the charcoal fire a couple of weeks ago and now they're happening simultaneously at the shore of the sea that's going to have the sensory experience of the sound and the um memories Come follow
0: me right the like for the right. first time all that yeah and
2: how is that sensory experience actually going to help this moment hold like let's make it significant let so this this also just happened yep. to me recently of like thinking about like we tend to want to make things new so much that we forget the power that happens when we have those sensory experiences of remembering. Like I like nostalgia. I actually have a kind of a flair for nostalgia. So I like having things on my shelf that remind me of old stories, or I like to smell things and they remind me of something else. That helps me move forward. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: there's a lot colliding in this moment that they would have the choice maybe to remember. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It's way more like gritty's not the right word, but
0: it feels so much more human than like divine in a way. Like and I I don't mean divine in like a you know, I, I mean like in this ethereal like where you hear harps and like angels like humming, you know, like I kind of feel like that's every Jesus interaction is like, there's meant to be like heart music and like a choir singing, especially post resurrection. And this just feels like you said, like we have a nice little campfire. We've, we, we've got some good smells going. We've got some food that we're going to, that's going to just nourish everything. And it's, you got the sound of the waves and it's just going to feel so present and grounded, but also have so much meaning attached to all of it.
1: And I, I wonder
2: how long it takes to unpack what all of that meaning is, right? Like, like this also feels like one of those experiences that has meaning beyond itself where they'll look back and wonder, oh, I wonder, like, I'm super curious in verse 11, how there's 153 fish. I don't know the mystical significance of 153. I'm super curious about that. But what I am enamored with right now as we're talking about the moment is that means someone counted the fish, right? Somebody thought, I want to know how many fish this is. Like, as I remember this moment, as I take this in, as I think about it for the future, let's make a record of how many fish it was.
1: Well, I I mean, this is actually, we kind of hit on this earlier and finding it. Like the last verse of John, Is where it says, and there are so many things that Jesus did, which if they were written by one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, which makes you like, oh, like we would think it would all be brand new stories, but maybe it's just like, there's also like this depth to each of these stories, like all the ways that this is impacted. Like if we sit in every person, like, yeah, who's all here? who's seeing this, who's, who is doing that counting? What's it like to bear witness to this and what's it like to experience it? Yeah. I, yeah. There's oh, so good. Yeah. Like what was, yeah. so, you know, we know that
2: John recognizes Jesus because he's the disciple that Jesus loved. We know that Simon, Peter, and Jesus have this interaction. Like what's Nathaniel doing?
0: Mm-hmm. When or when are James, James and John, the sons uh-huh. of Zebedee are both there. Like, yeah
2: what, what's everybody
1: doing? I love that. I love thinking about it. Like it's not that I'm missing out on more proof of who Jesus is. I'm just missing out on like all the richness, but I'm invited in to consider that richness. I don't actually need it all to be written down because if I sit with it and I wonder about it,
2: it's there. I, okay. Um, In a scripture circle not long ago, somebody talked about an overlap they were seeing between the passage we were in and something their therapist said to them once that I was like, oh, that is such good therapist wisdom. She said that her therapist said to her, what if instead of looking for new proof that your partner loves you, you rest on the proof that has already been given to you? How would that change how you hold your relationship?" And that she talked about how different that started to feel, of like how it feels to be a partner, where like, where somebody's looking at you, like, prove it, prove it, prove it. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Show me more love. Show me more love. Show me more love. Versus, I see and take in, and I'm going to spend time with the ways you have already shown me you love me. And she said that started to transform. Like she started getting what she needed when she, instead of looking for more, which actually felt insatiable, she started diving into the evidence she already had and resting in that. And I wonder, and I thought in that, and it came up in a scripture circles, we were talking about that with faith. Like what, how much is that a shift we could do or instead of asking God for more proof or why don't you change this? Or could you do this? What if we said, what have we already experienced? How do we sit in that? What if it's helpful that not all of it was written down? Because more proof, whatever that means, would just be overwhelming. And there's a lot already here that is evidence of love. And that evidence of love is what we really need. And what is it to shift our mindset and to see Grandmother Jesus um, saying, come on, let's eat. Let's spend some time together. I love you.
0: feel like we need to put a link to the daily examine in this episode, inviting people to reflect and remember where they've encountered God and where they've encountered love and the spirit in their day, whether they journal it or whether they just sit and meditate on it and reflect on it in ways that will maybe never be written down and might not fill all the books that would you know, cover the face of the earth, but are a part of the human story of people being met by shalom
2: i love that that verse is in john that we
0: were wondering where is it <laughs>
2: it's right i on the knew i already looked can.
0: ahead so but i love that lisa brought it back that was so good
2: because <laughs> um, again that allows us to be human like part of where we were we were going today is like let's let's be human and know that that's okay
0: This podcast is a partnership between 40 Orchards and Processing Faith. 40 Orchards invites people to wrestle through biblical texts using the ancient Jewish concepts of Midrash. In a 40 Orchards study, every question is safe, everyone is welcome, and every voice is valued. We believe there's room for all of us. No person and no question is off limits because we know that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40orchards.org. That's 40orchards.org. Processing Faith is a space created by Jason Steffenhagen for people to do exactly that process their faith. It's not one thing, but more like a good recipe. It's like one part pastoral care, one part theological exploration, and one part wrestling with all the questions. You can learn more about processing faith and sign up for a free 45 minute session by going to processingfaith.com. Thanks again for joining us on searching safe.
2: I want to know whether Jesus was a good cook. Oh,
1: yeah, he was what's his family recipe for he's bringing grandma energy yeah
2: well that's what i'm saying i want to know i want to know grandma jesus cookbook
0: i think i'm gonna end this podcast a little earlier with something that we said more poetic and then i'm gonna put this was Jesus a good cook and he was bringing grandma energy then yes as a post-credits uh sounds
1: good so
0: that's beautiful